Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast once again. My name is Matt Walsh and as I am every Tuesday, I'm joined by Jake Michaels and Champion Data's Christian Jolly to talk all things footy, including just what happened to the Swans and if it can all be blamed on injuries. We also look at the players who excel in revenge games. We break down the weekend's action and a whole lot more. Jake, before we get cracking, something from the weekend that uh, took your fancy. You're not mucking around this week. Normally, it's a bit of a hello. How are you going? Well, you're, you're not feeling too well. So you, you want to come in and you want to get out. That's true. So I'm wasting time now. So it's got to be a Carlton something I noticed. And Patrick Cripps, Carlton captain, who was pretty poor, I thought, again, he probably got going late in the game. But, yeah, struggled in the first three quarters. Um, first one, first game of his 168-game crew didn't lay a tackle. Is that right? Mm. Mm. What does that say about the Carlton captain and... The Blues, particularly coming off last week's horror loss, and as we said, you know, uh, by the time we get to the buy rounds, could be season over. It could be. Things are looking a little bit up for them, given where Sydney's currently at, and we will touch on the Swans a Game little bit is later. In Sydney, though. It is in Sydney uh, next Friday night, I yep. believe. So that's one to keep an eye on off a five-day break too. Well, five-day break. Gee, the Blues are under the, pressure, aren't they? Played the Pies, so yeah, it's not not looking good. And and that's a club that has a tendency to do I want to say overreact when it comes to hierarchical coaches. decisions and coaches and all that kind well, of stuff? certainly in uh, in recent times, yes. Uh, mm. Question without notice, does... What's the over-under on Voss's games left? Does he... Would you be surprised if he was gone by this time next year? Yeah? Yes. Why? I just... Uh, again, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. There is... Clubs do jump at shadows and make calls a bit quickly, but Carlton I, jumps at shadows. Yeah, exactly. Some clubs do it more than others, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like we've got to a stage now where a lot of people look at things in a three-year time period, and I think it's very, very hard to see him going. Well, especially this year. I, I don't think any, yeah, I don't think anything's going to change this year. By by this time next year, a lot would have to go wrong. You, you can't. Yeah, you've got to see things through for for a whole three year process before you can make a true call. I would have thought things haven't been looking too good for the first uh, year and a half. I guess though, Jake. No, but uh, we'll move on because this is not the Carlton podcast. <laughs> Christian, something from the weekend that you noticed? Yeah, well, I sort of I started to notice that I thought the margin was a bit, bit of few blowouts this uh, weekend. Not a, not a hundred point or ninety point margins, but the smallest uh, margin for the weekend was seventeen points. So I sort of just dug into the average margin um, for the round, and it was uh, it was at forty six points, the average margin across the nine games, which is the highest we've seen since twenty eighteen. Um, and the highest this year so looked at that and then I also sort of noticed on top of that just how much sort of one-way games we saw so we talk about territory winning the inside 50 counts there was three games this weekend that had the three highest inside 50 differentials we've seen in any game this season so uh, off the top of my head I think it was Brisbane, Essendon, Melbourne and Hawthorne um, and it might have been Gold Coast, West Coast I think it was the third one but they're the three biggest games so there was just a whole lot of games where the ball was basically playing at one end of the field mm. one way traffic uh, something I noticed on Sunday now he got fined for this so Nathan Murphy I think it was and Aaron Cadman were tussling on the boundary line uh, and Murphy goes to Dak Cadman now Cadman responds gives away a free kick because well, he, he did Dak him yes he did but, but, it, but Cadman gave away the free kick for shoving him in response mm. now so he got a fine, Murphy, 1500 bucks for doing that. Fair enough, I think. But why are we not giving away a free kick at the time, Jake? Well, that was... For, my, for the initial action. That was my first thought. And I actually was... I was watching that on the couch and I had the same reaction. I thought, that's just ridiculous. But Christian made the point that 
perhaps the umpire didn't see that original four umpires. Jake. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm again. I'm just giving him an out. I think for sure it was, it, they didn't see it because there is misconduct free kicks. Well, and the most the recent thing. ones we've seen yes. is boots being thrown away. So a guy loses <laughs> his shoe and you pick up a shoe and you throw it too far away, and the umpire will just pay a free kick. And basically, we heard on, on one of the umpire mics. You heard the umpire uh, a player ask, "What was that for?" And the umpire said, "Misconduct." So yeah. they do have a they have a rule where. So yeah. it's like a you do anything stupid. We can just yeah. pay a free kick. Off the ball, it's a lot harder to... Because I guess umpires are looking at the play, right? So if there's yeah. a boot on the ground and you chuck it away, you, it's kind of reliant on someone to see it. But I would have thought that was like... The play The play had just ended, and that was where the immediate area was. Mm. You would have thought that one of the umpires would have seen that acting question? You would, th- you would think so, yeah. There you go. Uh, well, let's get cracking into it. Got a lot to talk about today. Um, Jake, something mm. we were raising in the office a little bit earlier. Take Taking our interest is we've got three pretty poor teams this year, and two of them are going to play each other this week. <laughs> Yeah, do we ever? <laughs> the, the Eagles have about 26 blokes to choose from in total. Uh, the Hawks, a bit of a COVID scare going through the camp, so Sam Mitchell has it. Who knows if and how many players might also pick it up in this week just as they're playing another poor side. Um, but it got us, what well, got me thinking, because we, we work at ESPN, so we have a lot to do with some other sports on the channel. We broadcast NHL, NBA, NFL, all these great American sports, so sign up if you haven't. It's good stuff. <laughs> but... The, the thing that was on last week that intrigued me was the NHL draft yep. and the NHL draft lottery. Can you tell me, and, and we'll explain a little bit what a, a draft lottery is in a sec, but can you tell me why the AFL wouldn't have one? Well, I think we were both asking each other this question earlier and we didn't really have an answer. And I feel like it's something maybe every three or four or five years, it sort of pops up somewhere and it kind of gets raised and then it's sort of brushed aside again um, and we don't actually ever implement anything like this but it's a great question that you raise and there's no reason why we shouldn't have this in all sport really so you're a sort of a stats guy where would you christian you where would you be comfortable in terms of the say there was a draft lottery in which you know a number of balls go into a pit i've got the team logos on them in in different proportions if you're say you finish ninth 10th 11th 12th 13th 14th 15th 16, 17, 18, right? So the bottom 10. Say that there's a proportion of 100 balls in a pit and the different logos are on them. What percentage would you be comfortable with the last place team getting compared to, say, a team that just misses finals? Yeah, see, I'm, I, again, it would have to be very, very low odds, or almost at 1% or 2% further top. Which I think, yeah, it, which I think talking, it is. You don't want to incentivize. If you're talking no. bottom 10, yeah, 10th to 11th, 12th. But that's where I'm not comfortable. I feel like a lottery maybe, you know, I might meet you halfway. I think a lottery for maybe for the bottom three teams. I feel like the top three picks can sort of separate, mm. um, you know, a good draft to a sort of a super draft if, if you can nail someone in those first three picks. So, yeah, there's certain seasons where it would have been a travesty for the 10th place or 9th place team to end up with the number one pick yeah. when some of the 18th teams were really struggling with and were, and one were three, to 2% three or four years into their struggles. And that's, exact, and that's exactly it. And that's where I would go. Because the other thing is, you know, we do compare it to the US sports, which might have 30, 32 teams. You know, we, don't, we have 18 right now. Mm-hmm. So you can't give 10 teams a lottery. You, you'll, you, you'll have a team that potentially, you know, team like Carlton last year that were heartbreakingly fell out of finals could potentially get the number one pick. So I think that's a bit ridiculous. But the bottom four, there's no reason why it couldn't be the bottom four. Mm-hmm. Um, then you then you open up the issue of if you're just outside the bottom four, last game, uh, we'll rest a few stars, maybe we'll get into that lottery. This is the issue with it, and this is probably why it hasn't been introduced, because you do bring that in. And that, and then, of course, so whether it's uh, you have a lottery for the bottom two, the bottom four, the bottom six or ten, 
you will have that problem where people think, well, we're going to finish 12th. If we lose this week, we will finish 14th potentially, and then we increase our chance of getting the number one draft pick. And we're going to have... It's what you think is going to have... Uh, what you think is going to create less tanking could end up creating more tanking later in the year. Yeah, and, so, that, and this might not solve the issue, but another way I would look at it, if it was just the bottom three or bottom four teams and you talk about weighted probability, I think the weighted probability should change every year. So if, if the bottom three teams, you've got mm. 18th on one win, uh, 17th on six wins, and, and uh, 16th on seven wins, then obviously the, it should be a higher probability for the one-win team to the six and seven-win team. So the probability could actually sort of roll as the season goes along, depending on how bad You know what you could do were. is you could actually determine how many teams are in the lottery by percentage over the course of a year. So you can't really get to the last game and say, oh, we'll just lose this one because your percentage might be too high in the first place. Mm. So... I mean, look, maybe that's something to consider going forward because I think, you know, when you have poor teams like we do, most years there's always one team where you go, or two teams that are battling it out, and you talk about the race for the spoon and the race for the number one pick. It gets a little bit tiresome, and I think it taking is, it out it's... of the hands of clubs like, you know, Melbourne, famously fine for not tanking, yeah. but half a million dollars later, the Blues did it a few years in a row. You could, you could argue it, it happens quite consistently in the AFL, and there probably needs to be a way to sort of start to think about phasing that out just a touch. So we've got three really poor teams this year, right? It's very rare that we have four. It's very rare we have four bad teams that you feel well, like are not going to win any week. Even, even looking at the three teams, so don't look, run a few of the numbers on it. So probably the only time we've seen three worst teams at round nine was 2012, and that's going all the way back to 1897 and using percentage. Jeez. So the, the gap between the third worst team uh, and the fourth worst team is basically the fourth biggest that's ever been at round nine in the history of the game. So, so that was that was GWS and 2012 Gold Coast. was GWS and Go- GWS's first year, Gold yeah. Coast second year, and Melbourne were actually you know Gold Coast actually were the third worst team. Melbourne was actually the second worst back then. So that was probably the most recent time. But yeah, the other two seasons are nineteen fourteen and uh, nineteen sixty seven, I think. So it is historically yeah. bad. And and I heard it sort of spouted during the week. Um, pre-round that, you know, the three teams are the worst. And I thought, geez, this is recency bias. I, I know I'm going to be able to blow this one out of the water. And I ran the numbers and, you know, another guy, Jacob, in the office looked over him as well and kind of thought, yeah, maybe it's it's not so much recency bias. We are looking at three very, very bad so, teams. So but you're those, right, four, those three four teams, would be rare. All, all three of them have a percentage right now, and we always say percentage is probably the best indicator of how a team's going, mm-hmm. below 63%, all three of them, North Melbourne, West Coast, and Hawthorne. The next worst is the Giants in 15th on 85.4. That says is a, a lot, doesn't it? massive gap between where the bottom three are and then, as you say, that the next worst team. Mm, interesting. Things to keep an eye on. Uh, a team that is just outside the bottom four, Sydney. Finished, uh, well, they were runner-up last year, Jake, and we, on this podcast, we have talked about it a little bit, so apologies if we're going over this again, but we did fear for the Swannies after that loss because they got absolutely spanked, and the stats about losing by sort of seven or eight goals uh, in a grand final, and 40 then 40-plus, yeah. and then making or even managing to win or even make finals was going to be a massive struggle the next year. And we thought, no, 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 surely the Swans will buck the trend. They're a much better side. They're young. They'll go again. They'll be able to reload. But lo and behold, they've won just one game at home this year against one of those sides we were talking about, Jake in Hawthorne. They've looked look pretty poor. They've obviously had some issues with injury, especially to some key pillars. You look at Logan McDonald's now out for months. Reed's been out. Amadi came in, looked okay, and then got injured. The McCartan boys, Rampy. Yep. Buddy hasn't looked anywhere near the sort of player that he has been. But can we just blame injuries for, for their demise and decline? I'm, I'm sure Krishna will have some numbers in a moment. But looking at the eye test, Jake, what does it tell you well, about the I Swans? Well, I think 
don't know if we can blame it entirely. It's certainly a reason. Everything, just because you say something, it's not an excuse. It, th- there are reasons why things happen, and that's, you know, the fact that they're missing the vast majority of their key position players um, is a reason why they're not as good. Would, would they be a top four team if they were all playing? On the evidence that we're seeing from all other aspects of the ground, no, they don't think they would be because they're not getting the production that they were getting from... Uh, a host of players um, like we saw last year particularly through the final series and into uh, to, to the grand final where they obviously lost to Geelong but you know we as you said we did not expect there to be a drop off because um, a lot of the players that were providing were the younger guys and into the other players like Luke Parker and Callum Mills that were in that in that period of their career Tom Papley Isaac Heaney they're all mid 20 to late 20 players they should be playing far better than they are. And then they're getting the extra boost from the younger guys. Chad Warner and Errol Goulden have played pretty well this year. Um, but there's just been a little bit of a drop-off from everyone else around the ground. And is that a result of not having the key position players there? I don't think so. Well, some of the numbers would suggest that actually converting opportunities when they get the ball forward has been a bit of a struggle, Christian. Yeah, so again, probably the two, you know, three areas of the game, you've got your defence, midfield and forward line. When you look at Sydney... Sort of, they're still applying the pressure. Their contested possession rate has dropped off as well, which I'll touch on as well. But if you're looking at the two ends, it's their forward line that's probably suffered a lot more than the defence across the season. In the last four weeks, um, again, the defence has been really, really bad and they're sort of bottom two. But across the whole season, it's their delivery inside 50. They were the best team at delivering inside 50 last year. They're down to 12 for retention rate this year, which has made their score per entry drop as well, just a few rankings. So... So is any of that on the fact that they're missing those key forward play, like they're, they're a lot of their forward line, or is it just is it the, the delivery itself? Well, it's it's, it's yeah. got to be the mix, and, the, the and de- that's where circular effect. So when you don't have the same targets up forward, then your delivery you looks worse because you're trying to do yes. something different. So it, it is. It's it's once yeah once one the part of the game breaks down, mm. all the other starts, all the other parts of your game have to compromise and and change because of the other breakdown. So. One area that they have struggled this year, which they were pretty good at last year. So they last year, the points from clearances differential, they were pretty solid, sort of seventh, so top eight in that regard. But this year, they've slipped down to 16th. Um, so actually generating scores from the coalface has also been an issue. Yeah, and, it, and going into this year, that was probably one part of the game you could sacrifice a yeah. little bit. You can break even in clearances and, and just not get smashed too much of scores. But we are seeing uh, a very sort of... A bit, a bit of a turnaround. The, the good teams are scoring quite heavily from clearances. Um, a couple of... Times where we've seen top four teams go head to head this year, the clearance game has been the difference rather than the turnover game, which we've seen previously. But yeah, sort of dropped down. And in the last four weeks alone, they're conceding three goals, um, or sort of four goals more per game than they're scoring from clearances. Mm. So that that's hard to get back from one area. And as I said, you talk about Swans, good at pressure, pretty good at getting in there in the contested ball and just making the game a little bit harder. One, they're making it too easy. Once the team exits yep. the stoppages, they're, they're allowing them to score too easy. And they're also a bit easy to move the ball end-to-end against. So they've gone to, I think, bottom three for moving the ball end-to-end in the last four weeks. They've always been top three or four in that stat in terms of being able to hem, hem the other team into their back line. Haven't been able to do that recently. Mm, Dockers did that pretty well on the weekend. We might touch on that game a little bit later. Jake, they're not making finals. Uh, right now, you'd say no. But just a quick look to their fixture. So they play North Melbourne this weekend of obviously one of those teams that we just spoke about. They should be winning that regardless of how they're they're tracking. And then a big game the the following week, Friday night against Carlton. So two teams that probably have under underperformed in terms of what the expectation was at the start of the year. That's at the SCG. 
Then they have the bye. So if they can win those two games and go into the bye and then come out on the other side of it, they do have some tougher games to, to come after that. But if they can get some players back, who knows? They might they might only be a game outside the eight. I'm not prepared to say they can't play finals, but are they, are they a threat this year like they were last year? I don't think so. Fair enough. Swans fans, if you agree or disagree, at Footy Tips on Twitter, let us know what you think the Swans will be able to achieve this season. Uh, another thing which we were chatting about Last week, Jake, ahead we of... We chat a lot, don't we? Well, I talk a lot of footy, would you believe? Um, we were talking last week, uh, this is sort of before the, the Jason Horn francis return game against Port... Uh, sorry, against uh, against North Melbourne. How, which did he, was, how did he go? Well, firstly, I just want to ask you, why wasn't this scheduled at Marvel Stadium? Well, us, us Gil at the AFL. <laughs> Secondly, uh, what did you make of the whole furor in the, in the in the lead up to do with that beer company that made the uh the ice bath lager that, <laughs> that sort was of a, went viral that was a uh yeah it was a very interesting story and it's um yeah so was chatting with uh one of the guys that works um at the company that was producing the beer um a lot of time and effort went into it very disappointed with uh what happened when they released it port adelaide got in touch and basically said Threatened legal action. That email was something yeah, from uh, Matthew Richardson, CEO. Exactly. So um, threatened legal action, told them to take the product down and, and um, they obliged. Um, it was a shame though, because it was all supposed to be a bit of fun, uh, lighthearted, as we obviously saw with Rory Lobb uh, a month ago yeah. uh, with the Lobster Tears beer. Yeah. So, slightly, uh, slightly, yeah. slightly sweet or whatever. Like yeah. The and, and you know, he, he uh, obviously they won that game, but he was able to have a bit of a laugh and... And I, you know there were photos. I think the with... dogs actually took a photo of him with it yeah. and posted it on their socials. So I think it's one of those things where the way in which Port handled it, um, and you know I was just, I'm just effect. reporting the facts, so it's not like an, it's not opinion or anything like that. But the way in which they handled yeah. it, it's not a great look, and and they were getting crushed by the general public for yeah. it. I think because it is a bit of a, a sour sort of a look, and they didn't need to be. They could have just sort of embraced it, had a bit of fun. Yeah. If anyone was to be if anyone was to be disappointed with it, it should have been North Melbourne. Um, so, anyway, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting lead up. Game wasn't the the greatest game we've watched this year. Horn Francis was okay without being great, I, I thought. Um, but that's probably how he's been for the majority of the year. Yeah. I think he's playing at a pretty a, good an level. okay level without being great. He's had some great quarters and he had a really good first half. Uh, two or three weeks ago, but I yep. uh, don't think he's been spectacular, but he doesn't need to be at this point in his career. Well, before we, we touch on uh, what we're going to talk about, firstly, have you, did you have any of the beer? Because you got sent some. Uh, I did get sent some. I have not had one as yet, but I will. I have had one. It was actually quite nice. Oh, really? Just a regular old lagery type. Anyway, yeah. we're not doing beer reviews on this podcast, but I just thought I'd ask a question. Uh, Christian. You, well, hang on, hang on. Hang did, on. You, did, you, <laughs> did you enjoy the beer while you are watching the game? I... No, no. So I was working while I was watching the game, so I probably couldn't crack one open. But uh, nah, no, it was. I think it was anyone. later that night. I, I ended up having a beer. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, very nice. I'll have to try one. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. Roundabout way to get to this, yeah. but got us thinking. Players against their old clubs, revenge games. The first time they mm. come up against their old club, we wanted to know who completely smashed it out of the park, who might have struggled in the revenge game. So we set Christian a task of finding out the players who when coming up against their old sides, really, really did well. And there were some interesting names that came up. Yeah, so again, ran the numbers from 2010, 2010 onwards, using AFL player rating points in your first game against your old club. Uh, 
and then ran the query and then sort of asked the question, what does your old club mean? So the number one player... So for, sorry, so it's basically your points in comparison to how what they were ratings points yeah, yeah. no no just no this is just your pure game rating points so how many so how many it's points not you like if you're a game? good player you have to play in an no, extraordinary just okay. how 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 high your game was rated against your old club so right. jonathan giles comes up as number one Ooh, um, playing for the gws giants against port adelaide uh so four years on port adelaide's list for zero games so again is that real does, does he win this or is he is he throwing I think that's the ultimate. I think you got revenge play. game, isn't it? Well, you could it have is, played me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, For four years, you, you sat me in the <laughs> reserves, and you, I can come out and do this. So he's number one. Number two and number seven are from the same game, and it's a game I probably, I think, probably uh, deserves a bit more credit than what history gives it. Uh, round seven, 2011, the first ever Q clash. Gold Coast mm. actually prevailed over Brisbane, uh, and their two best players in that game were Jared Brennan, uh, who scored 24 player rating points in that game and had, I think, 30 touches and 14 clearances. And Michael Riscatelli was their second best player. So they come down as the second best and seventh best revenge or return games. Wow. Um, and they were the they were the only two lines, I think, picked up by the original Gold Coast team. So, um, yeah, they they certainly had a big impact. In Lions the, really in the struggled that year, though, to be, to be fair. Yeah, I, I was sort of surprised that Gold Coast had won that. It was their second win. I think they beat Port Adelaide a few weeks before. Um, and I think Brisbane did obviously finish above them on the ladder by the end of the season. But yeah, at that stage of the season, they were both um, both struggling and Gold Coast got the points. So a few other ones that are sort of high up there. Daniel Bradshaw uh, played for Sydney, uh, had 24, 23 and a half rating points in Isn't his the, first game against game? Brisbane. Yeah, I think it was. I was about to say, I think he ended up kicking the winning goal and things like that. And it, it wasn't a long, illustrious career at Sydney. I think he's more remembered as a Brisbane player. But yeah, big game for Sydney in that one. Daniel Paddy Ryder still haunts me when he dominated. 2009. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Paddy Ryder's a good one. So he, uh, round 17, 2015, was his first game against Essendon while playing for Port Adelaide. And he had That's 23. one I do 5. remember. Yeah. And that was sort of a bit emotional the way he left the club and got mm. to Port Adelaide. It was, it was obviously round 15, so it was later in the season. It wasn't as soon as the JHF game. But um, yeah, a yeah, big performance for him in that one. In terms of if we, if we just look at this year... Uh, funny that you mentioned the Rory Lobb one. That's probably been the, that was the third worst return game we've ever seen for player rating points. Hey, you got the four points and 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 the lowest of any player this year. But exactly <laughs> right, they they got the win. So, um, and the highest uh, return revenge game this year was Lloyd Meek um, playing for Hawthorne against Fremantle uh, a couple of weeks ago. The second highest uh, return game was Jager O'Meara in that same game playing yep. for Fremantle mm. against Hawthorne. So, um, yeah, those two sort of had a fun night playing against their old teams good fun mm. i wonder we should maybe do this in depth next week but like players who have consistently torched their old sides because you had a feeling that patrick dangerfield since joining geelong yeah so it might not i think i looked it up quickly just before his first game against the crows was good without being spectacular but i reckon he if you looked at the f- five games that he's that he played against adelaide um after leaving that was a pretty good stretch he had games where he was kicking Kick, uh, kicking three goals, thirty touches every every time he played them. So, hmm. uh, yeah, that, I think is it a bit is it a bit sort of fluky? I guess with some of these names coming up, or no? Again, I I don't know. Some some of the names for the bigger games are fluky, are fluky. But I do watch. I think when you watch a player play against their old team, they do look a little bit more comfortable. They know yeah. who they're playing against, and and probably the limitation of those players. So I think. Um, yeah, you sort of look at some players and think, yeah, I reckon he's played a bit better this week just because mm. he Another knows one on the, the opposition. Joe Danaher, 
six one. Yeah. Just a, yeah, a lazy six one against one, his old side. Where that one? Where would that one have rated? I mean, well, it's I not, not their first, first game back. Yeah, I've only got, yeah, yeah, I've only looked at the first year. So the interesting thing, I looked at everyone's first year and how many times they played against their old team. So most people get one or two games against their old team. Luke Ball could not avoid St Kilda in his first year at Collingwood. That's played against each other four times in his first year <laughs> at Collingwood. So, so twice home and away. And and then, oh, the grand and final the two grand play. finals, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Good stuff. The uh, one thing that we've been doing in recent weeks or this year have been going through each game, looking at the one key stat from each game. Uh, Christian's prepared, geez, a few pages on the three three pages worth of stuff. This is good stuff. Uh, we might as well start with uh, the Friday double header. Firstly, what did you think of it? We were talking about it in the lead up, Jake. Hated it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I was out. You're a Thursday man. I was out Friday night, so I came home uh, and watched West Coast Gold Coast. Just wanted to keep an eye on uh, my man Noel Anderson, see how he went, and then uh, watch the other game the in Saturday morning. Um, no, I don't like it. I think we've already covered this a couple I, times a year for the West Coast audience. For the West Coast? No, the West Coast audience. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know what you're doing. No, I don't know. I just think have a Thursday night, play a Thursday night game over there. I think play a Friday night having game. having a a. a, a a side like Gold Coast go over there mm. makes a lot of sense. So you'll get the diehards that want to watch Gold Coast and then you'll get, obviously, prime time into WA. Yep. It makes a lot of sense. And those that want to tune in from Melbourne can. I reckon start it at 9.30. That's 7.30 local time. A legit Friday night game for the people of Perth. I think would, they deserve it, firstly. Maybe when they're going a bit better. Uh, I probably would, yeah. yeah. Would the vast majority of people? Uh, does it matter? Well, yeah, it does. Okay. A Fox Footy game doesn't need to be a, a Channel Seven game. Yeah, I, I think they still want people watching it. Otherwise, they're not going to do it. But oh, anyway, if it's West Coast, Gold Coast, um, you know, Gold Coast won by seventy points. So I don't think it would have been a ratings <laughs> bonanza. No, that's true. Uh, probably need it when they're slightly more sort of um, closer in terms of mm. their outputs. Uh, but we have skipped a game. Christian Tigers and Cats. Tigers uh, added a little wrinkle to what they're really well known for on uh, Friday night. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was kick city for them all of a sudden so we talk about handball meters gained and they're they able to take the game on by handball they're usually very low for their kick to handball ratio um so i think they had 2.2 kicks for every handball uh against geelong which is the highest kick to handball ratio they've ever had under damien hardwick so really sort of flipped the script and sort of picked the cats off by kicking and, and it has been something that the cats when they were losing early in the season they were struggling to defend end-to-end ball movement um, and we know Richmond do that well usually by hand, but they obviously went a different way, a bit more direct with their kicking. Um, so they're still, when they were handballing the ball, they were still 2.3 metres per handball, which is second of the round. Actually, Geelong was taking more ground by handball on the night. Um, so they're still high for that. They just they just weren't handballing as often as they were. They were just throwing it on the boot and getting it forward. Something from this game that caught my eye was the fact that, and I feel like Richmond's usually on the, the wrong end of this, but th- so the Cats had 23 scores to 22, yet... The Tigers won by four goals. Yeah, but, I feel yeah. like that's a that's normally it's Richmond that's that's the one that's missing out there. Well, yeah, it's flipped. Last year Richmond were good on the expected scores. They went backwards this year, but this was one of their best performances. Mm. Um, expected expected score. I don't think the result would have changed at all. But um, yeah, it is. It's again shows accuracy. accuracy it can yeah. it can go up and down each week. But they've been con- probably consistently bad for the first eight weeks, and it just it all <laughs> fell into place. Uh, and, signs and of life on the Tigers, Jake. Uh. Yeah, I think um look, we're pretty we were pretty down on them after the first four, five, six weeks when just like it didn't look good. It yeah, was Tom Lynch wasn't playing. Yeah, same thing with Sydney. You can sort of make the case that they've had yep. injuries too. Um but then you look at the ladder and I think I I either mentioned this on the podcast last week or wrote it in my column, was that they're 
only a game outside of the eight. Yeah, it's, it's not as open. if it's not as if you know it was kind of like do they give up on the season? Someone was saying. So yeah. well, I think that's ridiculous because, at this point. So go on. Probably feels very similar to where what I said before about Sydney. I think they can make it. There's no reason why they can't. They, it's not like they have to make up four games. It's just mm. whether they are they going to be able to cause damage. Mm. Well, the concern for me, maybe not so much in the immediate future, but sort of going forward, is look at the contributors that they had on Friday night, especially uh, on the end of goals. And it was blokes that are old, unfortunately. Mm. It's just going to be that way. So Revolt, obviously, Cochin, uh, and then Martin obviously came in with a couple as well. So it's still trying to find other consistent avenues to goal. And yep. I know that Lynch is out, and I know that you know they're trying Samson Ryan in just about every position, depending on where they need him and all this kind of stuff. But that's kind of the concern. I don't think we're going to see that sort of output from them every single week. Just another quirky one for player watch. Uh, Noah Bolt has been sort of a huge sort of factor for them in their winning game. So the three games they've won this year, he's averaged 505 metres gain. So that's a minimum of 458, had 579 against Geelong. In their losses, he's only averaged 249. He's never had over 280 mm. metres in any of those. So he's a full back. He's not your main ball carrier. He's averaged the exact same amount of disposals in wins and losses, or 0.9 difference. But he gets 300 more metres, and it's the biggest differential of anyone in the comp. That's insane, isn't it? So if he can provide that drive... And, that's what one of the things I looked at. more meters. Yeah, I looked at it going into the game that if he could get the matchup on Hawkins and just continually run off him all night, which he did, he provides that he provides a lot of drive from from mm. the back line. Uh, West Coast and Gold Coast, we did touch on them briefly, but Gold Coast, one of the biggest wins they've had in their club's history. Yeah, third biggest win uh, that they've had, and I think biggest on the road. And yes, yeah, and and their their best contested possession differential and the third best this year. I just just the margin one. I don't think enough people were talking about. It. I know it's West Coast, and West Coast have probably. You know, a few weeks ago they made Carlton look good, and I think uh, last week whoever played them, uh, Richmond sort of got back into form. But yeah, I just don't think enough credit was given that Gold Coast. We sort of talk about you know they're they're they're, they're not quite in your face. You know, they're not quite reaching the level. The last three or four weeks they've been really really good contested ball wise. Did really really well against Melbourne, and they've just had their third biggest win in their history. So are we seeing a bit of mm. a bit of true form from Gold Coast? No, well, we were worried about them earlier, but they seem to have. Righted the ship somewhat. What about Raul and Jinby both having 16 tackles oh. in a game? I mean, don't know if that happens. What's with these young kids just, you know, fresh out of high school, just tackling machines in the <laughs> AFL? It's pretty, pretty, pretty good. Uh, Sydney and Frio. We talked about Sydney being quite a good pressure side historically, quite uh, good at generating scores from clearances, especially last year. So the Dockers went the other way. They started chains from back half. Well, and they we, just and didn't allow Sydney to look at the footy. Both things. Sydney, Sydney are the strangling swans and... and the Frio or the go slow Frio. They don't usually try to try to beat you from the back half. They scored 51 points from uh, their back half chains, Fremantle. Um, so that's the second most against the Swans by any team in the cross, across the last four seasons. So the Swans just don't let you go end-to-end um, as often as they did. Um, and again, that, that was at their home ground. I know it's a smaller ground, so it, it seems like it should be easy to go end-to-end, but Sydney don't allow it because they sort of they restrict the space well. Frio were able to yeah pick them off all day. Port, pretty comfortable over North down in Hobart. What yeah, took just there? so direct. So again, that was they kicked twenty goals and they had I think three hundred and twenty nine disposals. Fewer disposals than North lost the contested possession. So sort of around the number that was the fewest disposals with twenty goals in any game since twenty sixteen. Hmm. Um, and if you have a look at Port this year, they're sort of eleven and a half disposals per scoring shot. Uh, next best team or next lowest team is um, about twelve and a half, and the comp average is fourteen and a half. So they're about three disposals better. Uh, on average than the comp for getting the ball and just being able to generate a score from it. So they've been playing really, really direct this year, and that was their most direct game of the season against North. 
Gee, not, not bad. You look at sort of 34 shots from 59 inside 50s of efficiency inside 50 of nearly 60% seems quite quite good. Yeah, and it is. It's, it's one of those ones, again, oh, they were playing north, so the numbers, but, you know, did the numbers get inflated because of the bad opposition? A little bit, but it is also their signature. That's what they've been doing all year, and they were able to sort of nail it and take it to the next level. Which, the Port Adelaide or Adelaide? Which team are we might, you we might get to that later. bullish on? We'll get to that later. Are we? Yeah, we are. Okay, okay. <laughs> Read the run sheet. <laughs> uh, Hawks and the Ds. Jeez, it looked ugly there for for the Hawks for a while. It looked like it could have been a massive blowout. Really what a struggled. Weird game. Just right. some really poor turnovers. Firstly, uh, but managed to sort of fight back a little bit. Yeah, you're right. Just um, sort of strangled up the ball a touch, and oh, still a pretty strong win for Melbourne in the end. But could have been a lot. Uh, could have been a much higher margin. Yeah, and it was, you talk about the sort of the boys and the turnovers, it was those turnovers on the rebound 50s for Hawthorne. So uh, Melbourne scored 55 points or nine goals won, so totally accurate, from chains starting in their attacking midfield, and a lot of those were intercept chains, so that's them. Hawthorne sort of trying to get it out of the back 50, uh, kicking the ball outside the 50 and hitting a, a Melbourne target basically on the wing or at centre-half forward, who were just putting the ball back in and scoring. So, yeah, one-way traffic, so 66 inside 50s to 41. As I said, that was the third biggest... Uh, differential of the season Jeez. but it's also only the third biggest differential of the round because of the other two games that were sort of one way as well so that was a, as I said that was a sort of thing I noticed was when I started to look at this game I'm like geez it was a pretty bad inside 50 differential but it didn't even rank up there for the week but yeah sort of one way traffic I mean there was um, a good period I mean, a 10-15 minute period from the Hawks where they did I think they they won inside 50s by two in the in the contested possession count but it was a it was that a first 10, 10 50, minutes after yeah, half it was time a, it was a 12 minute patch I think at the most different side yeah. Uh, half time of uh, Brisbane and Essendon. I sort of looked at the score and I thought, yeah, could could the Bombers really pull something like this off? But when you see a side like Brisbane at home uh, have a poor quarter in front of the sticks, you know, zero six or something in that second term, you just knew that the third quarter they were going to come out and reversion to the mean, kick the goals that they it, needed it, to kick, and they blew them away. In the exactly. Third term. It was it was pretty even in the first half. Essendon got them on a you know tiny few stats, but again, it was all about accuracy, and they just didn't take their chances. So you thought the third quarter might go the same way. If Brisbane start to take their chances, they'll actually, you know, get their doses in front. But they just turned the game around and just dominated. So 22 inside 50s to 5 for the quarter. Um, this is the third quarter. Five goals, four. They scored for the quarter. And four of those five goals came from, again, attacking midfield chain, similar to what I was talking about Melbourne, just sitting at centre-half back and able to win the ball back and score from there. Um, and as I said, yeah, they the inside and outside sort of game. So pre-contested possession differential was plus two the Lions way. So that's around the stoppages. They ended up getting their hands to the ball first more across the game. But continuously post-clearance, um, they were plus 27 for contested possession differential. Again, third biggest differential in the game this year. And we talked about how 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 much that sort of matters more than the pre-clearance for contested possession, the ability to hunt the ball yeah. out, out on the spread. Well, we talked about uh, pre- and post-clearance contested possessions a couple of weeks ago on the podcast if you want to go back for a bit of a deep dive. Blues and the Dogs, uh, oh, geez, slow start from the Blues, used to that. Um, and look, they came back pretty well, but the Dogs, just a bit too much too much class in the end, I feel, and just uh, finished off a few nice goals and uh, and sealed the four points. Yeah, it was a little bit like that. And again, you look at the, the territory battle, the Dogs did win. They, they won the time in forward half by a minute and 22 seconds. But, I mean, you look at uncontested possessions in your forward half, the Bulldogs had 90, Carlton had 65, um, and I think they, were, they had another extra 10 inside their forward 50 compared to what Carlton do. So that's just being able to find a guy in space uh, in your front half. And then disposal efficiency in forward 50. So a lot of them are shots at goal, but just overall disposal efficiency, 42% for Carlton um, and 59% for Bulldogs. So below 50% in any zones, just not going to get the job done. 
No, that's for sure. Uh, Saints and Crows. Jake, thoughts mm. on that game from a Ross Lyon-led St Kilda team? Smash. Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of wrote about this a couple of weeks ago as well. Would St Kilda look... They defensively look so sound. Um, they found a way to break them down um, and to score 120 points. I think that's the highest score they've conceded this year. Yeah, be pretty comfortably, um, yeah. And does that... Is it a one-off, or do you look at that as a blueprint for success that you can have against St. Kilda? Well, you look at the, uh, the, the type of side that Adelaide is, pretty good ball use. Uh, and, and what they managed to do against uh, the Saints that I thought was nice, one of, the, one of the stats that stood out to me, and I see you've got this down as well, is just how the Crows punished St. Kilda on turnovers. 14 mm. goals, one behind from turnover. Yeah, and they so were, when they and, got the ball back, yeah. they just used it so well, got it into spots where players could could convert and kick goals uh, and took advantage and, and no wonder the the margin blew out so big in the end. Yeah, and that's and that's again, you see uh, Saints scored 8-8 eight, eight from turnovers, so 16 scoring shots uh, to 15, but as I said Adelaide just be able to sort of nail those chances and again looking at where they take their shots from, that's the one thing I think with Adelaide that's you know it impresses me at the moment, but it could be something that sort of burns them in the end. Is they take shots from anywhere and everywhere. They say they take more shots from outside forty than any other team, so they're happy mm-hmm. to sort of have those long pot shots, um, which sort of hurt their accuracy early in the season. They are getting better at those, um, but yeah, they t- they take a lot of long range shots. But again, similar to um, what we're talking about the pre clearance, post clearance um, contested possession, and Ross Lionsport spoke about it post match as well. Adelaide were just able to hunt them once the ball left the, the stoppage area. So. Again, pre-clearance contested possessions, Saints plus nine. So they were able to get their hands to the ball first. Uh, post-clearance contested possession, Crows plus 17. So they just swarmed um, all the contests once the ball left the stoppage and were able to win it back there. So even looking at, you know, I, I know I'll know Jake will love this stat. So Rowan Marshall had 21 hitouts to advantage, um, the most of any, any player this year. But the Saints only scored from 8% of their clearances. So he was giving them first juice continuously the whole game. But the Crows were ready for that. They were just sort of like, well, you can win the clearance or get first use of it, but we're going to beat you once the ball left the stoppage area. And, uh, you know, just didn't let them score. So as I said, to have 38 clearances and score two goals, one from those for the Saints, um, yeah, the Crows sort of showed good structure behind the ball. Love to hear it. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, And the final match, the the late Mother's Day one, Collingwood and the Giants. This is a domination across the stats sheet really and, and some of the pressure numbers were staggering yeah there was one graphic I think it was on Fox I couldn't find I don't know the exact time period they used it so the one I looked at the first 10 minutes of the second quarter so we, we talk about pressure um, being a three digit number so 200 is the pressure that you want to sort of reach and that's that's applying pressure to the ball carrier but you also look at differential pressure so yeah you can put a lot of pressure on but if you're receiving more pressure then you know you're sort of not getting ahead in the game usually pressure it's within 20 or 30 points of each other because if you're putting a lot of pressure on the opposition, when you win the ball, you're, you're winning it amongst more bodies and it's easier for the opposition to pressure you back type thing. So you don't usually see a huge differential between two teams. At the first 10 minutes of the second quarter, uh, Collingwood applied 220 points of pressure. So nearly every time GWS would dispose of the ball, Collingwood had their hands on him. GWS applied 119 points of pressure. Anything over one below 160 is a bad number. They were at 119, which is 101 away from goal, uh, from Collingwood's pressure at the same time. It was just clinical by Collingwood. They were just able to find space and use the ball easier. If they turned it over, though, they were straight on to GWS so, and, and sort of putting the pressure on. So across the game, though, it was the only the second time this year that both teams have had 400 disposals in a game. So Collingwood let GWS have enough of the ball, but it was just that the differential pressure levels between mm. the two having those 400 disposals that... Collingwood looked clinical, and 
as a Carlton supporter watching that one, it was probably a, a scary sign for next week. Yeah, Sunday. Uh, just a really quick refresher on pressure numbers. So if you look at sort of 119, what would that be the average of what a player doing? Uh, corralling? No, not, not even. Not exactly. even. Exactly. It's, it's so I think corralling off the top of my head is about, if you corralled every um, every sort of disposal, I think you'd end up with a pressure factor of about 130 or 135. So Which that's, is still poor. Yeah, so that's a lot of no pressure disposal. So no one in a round or just yeah. marks, just easy. Un- so every time you take a mark or get a free kick, that's an unpressured disposal. So that comes into the number. But as I said, it's it's a very low number, but usually if you're putting that much that low pressure on, you're sort of receiving maybe 140, 150 in the game, mm. just very open to see Collingwood sort of smashing in really high pressure number and such a low number for GWS. It's just it's just unheard of that differential. Mm. Looking pretty good, the pies. Uh, we're approaching red time on this podcast, proudly brought to you by Subway, which means it's time for is the hype justified or is it hyperbole, Jake? Taylor Walker is the man you want kicking for your life from 40 meters out, straight in front. He's very good, but he's not the guy I would want. Um, okay. Todd Marshall. Going across town. Yeah. Um, I think we've spoken about this before. Yeah. Pretty rare that a guy that height you'd probably want kicking for your life, though. He doesn't miss. <laughs> he just does not miss. Um, he misses games, but he doesn't <laughs> yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say. He doesn't miss when he's taking a shot for goal. I think he's the one if it from that spot. Tex, if it's 50, I reckon it's Tex. Okay. Tomahawk? Tex, I'll take Tex over Tomahawk. Tex over so you Tomahawk. said you said an interesting one before the pot. If if the ball was just randomly put to any spot yeah. on the fifty, and you had, you had to choose someone before the ball was put down, you just know it's going to be from anywhere in fifty. So I looked at expected score differential this year. So again, looking at where you're taking your shots from, Walker Tex Walker is fourth of those. Talking about height, but the three guys above him: Charlie Kerno's third, Nick Larky second. Larky's Two. good. Jeremy yeah. Cameron, number one. And Jeremy Cameron was the one that came to my mind when I was thinking anywhere within 50. Yeah. The confidence of him just being able to have a shot. He doesn't usually shank him, Jeremy Cameron. Mm. Not bad. Uh, I, I think I was going to say, I think the player, yeah, if, it, if it's anywhere, ball's put, put on the ground and you have to pick a player to go up and kick it and your life's on the line. I reckon it's Luke Bruce. Still? Yes, yeah, still. Okay. Just back him in. Would you back yourself from 30 out directly in front? If I, asked you, gun to your head? I asked you this before. So this is the question. I'll say this now. So would you rather have Todd Marshall take one kick 30 out directly in front and your life's on the line, he's got to kick it, or or you yourself yeah. get five. I'm five backing myself kick, hang on, five you every get day. five and you've got to kick one of them. <laughs> you've got, my, you got a hey, my firing in squad my hands, <laughs> standing next to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm backing myself to kick one in five. I'm backing myself to kick one okay, in two. Okay, but, you, but your, your point, yeah, you, as you should, but yeah. we see players miss week in, week out, and there's far less Are you stake. backing yourself? I think if I if we went after this podcast, if we went over to the park with a footy, I feel yeah. like I'd kick four out of five. But if there's a pressure of dying, then no, I probably would shank everyone. Christian, I don't know. I'm, I'm always of the view: if you want something done right, you do it yourself. Yeah. So I'm backing myself. But yeah, I'm not too One sure. One in five, I'd take the odds. Uh, gosh. All right, moving on. Uh, is the hype just hype? Is it hyperbole? Time for the AFL or Toyota to pony up again and offer a car for Mark and Goal of the Year. Probably should in this day and age. Um, don't know why they don't. And when did they stop doing it? It's a great question. Just, only, yeah, real quiet that one. There was no media release about yeah, that. Yeah. The only thing I um, I was saying to the you guys media before, release, bloody congratulating the new CEO. Yeah, but four hundred of them. <laughs> no, the thing that I always laughed at with the the when they used to give a car 
was and still is when you go back and watch old highlights of, of footy and that someone will either take a hanger or, or drop one and the commentary will always be, oh, he's dropped a car or he's caught a well, car. But that's gold. If no, you're Toyota, if like you're Toyota you want to hear that. He's just dropped the Toyota. It's a per- that's, that's why I think it's a perfect sort of brand partnership to have, yeah, to sort of Drop go up car. and, and, and yeah. take, grab a we car. Need a, we need to they, do a bit of research. I, I, you're, you're right. That's kind of, that quietly just sort of went mm. out of footy and no one really thinks about it anymore. I still think commentators say that every, every time. It's like, oh, that, that's worth the car. And then they sort of go, oh, wait, hang on. There's no car There's anymore. no car, yeah. Uh, Paddy Parnell, best one of the year so far. Himmelberg, any others? Uh, I'm trying to think. Himmelberg's was good. Um... Himmelberg times two, actually. He's got two. First round and then a few weeks that, later. That one where he had that, yeah. Yeah. Three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Um, is it me or have there not been a whole heap of great marks this year so far? That's, I think there's been more speckies than last year so far. It's only, we're only nine weeks in. You reckon? Yeah, maybe not as spectacular. Not there's yet, not a whole lot that are sticking Walker, out. I think there's more Nathan goals Cracker. that are sticking out than marks. Ashley Sampy styles. Yeah. But I think players are sort of discouraged from sticking the knee in the back of the head and the back of the... Like we were talking about a few weeks ago, actually, which makes a lot of sense. Yep. But I did have to laugh because Parnell's mark was excellent. And face right in the sun. So the sun was right there. Look, the shadows were right on his face. So he's, he's gone and had this absolute screamer. Does that get factored into the I difficulty of the mark? Well, it's funny you say that because the, the same quarter, the next quarter, I don't know. Um, but Riley Philthorpe was going for a mark and completely lost it in the sun and it falconed him. And I'm thinking, how, how can two blokes be looking at the same direction? The sun's right there in the face. One of them takes an absolute screamer balancing on someone's shoulders and the other just completely misses and it conks him on the, on the noggin. Very strange. Anyway. It's different skill levels, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, footy tips. At footy tips on Twitter. Get your tips in. Um, good slate of games this week. It's good. Q Clash. Yeah. Coming up as well. Um, Sun's a chance? Nah, not at the Gabba. Who is it? What's it called these days? Down the road. Heritage uh, Bank Stadium. Heritage Bank, yes. Um, um, it's a bit of the... I think there's a bit of a... Uh, you play West Coast and you sort of think you're a little better than you are. We saw that with Carlton a few weeks ago. Uh, that's my concern with um, with the Suns going into this game. I, I feel like they could get jumped pretty quickly by Brisbane. Port and D's. Sneaky blockbuster at Adelaide Oval on Friday night. Yeah, Port, I think Port's going to win that. Dogs and Crows. There's another a few good games this week. Yeah. Probably not going to have another high average margin like we did last week. Well, yeah, yeah. And then the closer. and then Carlton Collingwood on Sunday, which will be forty eight points. Could be a pies. blowout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and dream time at the G as well this weekend. Yeah, no, it's Quite a good round of footy. I think what last week was a bit of a eh. It was all right, but yeah. I think this one will be a good one. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us any questions. We can put them to Christian at Footy Tips on Twitter. Uh, we'll take your comments. We'll take your feedback as well. But uh, Jake, good to speak with you. Go home and rest. That uh, what's wrong with you? Uh, I've got COVID. <laughs> no, I don't. I no, I feel like I got the flu. I just feel terrible. <laughs> I'll leave that. Look at your face. No, we've got to get that on camera. <laughs> that wasn't a great joke. Christian, good to speak with you. As always, we'll speak to you next week. Oh, next week. What are we going to do next week? We're going to do our uh, most improved players, ratings points. We'll do some bits and pieces on that as well. So make sure you tune in, tell your friends, subscribe, rate, do all that sort of stuff. And uh, we'll speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.